Welcome to The Edge, the official podcast of Bass Edge, brought to you by our good friends at Ditchwick. I'm Steve Brigman, and with me today is Aaron Martin, the host of Bass Edge Television. Bass Edge TV can be seen three times weekly on the Outdoor Channel and also on the World Fishing Network and Wild TV in Canada. How you doing, Aaron? Hey, I'm doing great. You know, we're uh, kind of through the holidays and uh, looking forward to the upcoming episode. Denny's going to be joining us as we tackle uh, the Cajun Coast down in Morgan City, Louisiana. And then also we've got, again, a reoccurring guest, author of The Psychology of Exceptional Fishing, and that is uh, Dr. Fish himself, Jay McNamara. Oh, two of my favorite folks. I'm looking forward to it. And it'll all be right here on the edge. Get it like that one, boy. Good job. Yeah, I don't know of any other sport that offers a challenge with bass fishing day. Oh, did, did you see yes, that? Yes, I saw that. That was awesome. <laughs> Watch for the fish to pace the bait. What do you think of that, huh? Yeah. That's full contact fishing right Man. there. You're listening to The Edge, the official audio program of Bass Edge. Well, Aaron, I don't know about you, but I'm getting a little case of cabin fever these days. Boy, that is the truth. And, you know, it's always this time of year, I guess, when that starts hitting me. But one of the good things that I've learned very early on, because obviously all of us like staying in contact. If we're not able to be out on the water, we like to either kind of talk about fishing or or somehow be involved. And, you know, this is the time of year, Steve, that I go through and do a lot of the old maintenance and, you know, upkeep and some things like that on a lot of my gear and kind of get into some of that so that I can at least be prepared when the season does roll around again. Yeah, you know, and I've always been that kind of guy that, uh, you know, if i got a camping trip coming up, you're probably going to see the tent set up in the living room at some point. <laughs> yeah. so, uh, so I'll typically set up a little pitching, flipping course there, uh, sometimes in the house. See if we get yeah. a little warm day, we'll go outside. And as you know, I'm a big reader, and I'll spend a good amount of time uh, uh, reading this time of year. Speaking of, of reading, Jay McNamara, who is our guest today that's on here, obviously he has the book out, The Psychology of Exceptional Fishing, but, you know, he kind of outlines in there about working on goals, you know, setting priorities and, and placing goals in place specific to your fishing career. And what a better time, you know, you hear people talk all the time about New Year's resolutions and, you know, putting things mm-hmm. out there that they want to get accomplished. But I would encourage those who, who have that or maybe don't yet have that as part of their arsenal, another great read and another great way to kind of get yourself in the mode of focusing on the upcoming year. Yeah, you know, Jay's book's one of those that uh, I've read it twice, and, and I'm sure, and I'll read it again. It's got good stuff, and uh, like I say, it's a good time of year to, to read and catch up on those things. And, and I, you know, I like to get, I love maps. I'll, I'll get the maps out and start planning fishing trips and where I'm going to go when and start to research and uh, always try to figure out some new place to go fishing that I haven't been. And this is kind of the time of year that that light bulb starts to go on. Well, and, and that's a great point because even if, uh, let's say, if you're a recreational angler and you have the ability you know, to kind of pick out some new locations or on the other side, if you're a tournament angler, you know, what a better time of year to sit down with the maps on, a, you know, the kitchen table, have your laptop or your computer right there where you can do some cross-referencing. Because right now in this day and age, the Internet is just a wealth of information to pull up past tournament results. You can actually categorize those to a certain time of year that you're going to be going there. Do as much uh, research as what you can on past tournament results. Finding out uh, as much information as you can. Put that in your fishing journal, and you're ready to go. Well, yeah, and you know, one of the things I do this time of year is, you know I'm a fly fisherman, and I've been on this kick lately of making these little foam poppers and decorating them all kind of ways. i got enough foam poppers <laughs> The next 10 years. There's anything foam poppers. Just let me know. <laughs> well, and, you know, talking about baits, though, and getting into actually making the baits, I, I mean, that is one of the things that I also I love to do. But you get away from it when the fishing season picks up. Mm-hmm. Uh, that gets kind of put on the back plate. 
So going through checking all of your baits, you know, changing out the hooks, I can't stress that enough on all your crankbaits, your jerkbaits, right. things like that. Looking at your jigs and making, you know, checking out the skirts, making sure that the bands aren't rotten on the spinnerbait blades, all those types of things. Also, reel maintenance. That's kind of a, a lifeline to, to catching fish and making sure that those are all cleaned and oiled and lubed and, and ready to go. Well, it's also a good time of year to go back and listen to all your old copies of the edge. Yeah. <laughs> Speaking of that, let's break away here for a little while and go talk a little fishing. And after the break, we'll come back and listen to Denny and you talk fishing. Sounds great. You've got the truck. You've got the toys. Now it's time to get the hitch that gives you more time to play with both. It's the tow and stow receiver hitch by B&W. You want options? Select the ball size, adjust the height to level the trailer, or stow it out of the way in just seconds. It's 10,000 towing pounds worth of durability, convenience, and the latest technology that has made B&W famous. The Tow and Stow Receiver Hitch by B&W. Call 1-866-BEST-HITCH. Welcome back to The Edge. Brought to you in part by Ditch Witches Zod. Establishing a new standard in trencher power and versatility. All right, we are back on the edge, and joining us is one of fishing's legends, and that is Mr. Denny Brower. Denny, thanks so much again for being part of the edge. I appreciate that, Aaron. Hey, you know, uh, we had the opportunity to uh, spend some time down in Morgan City, Louisiana, on the Cajun coast, and, uh, you know, it was, it was a little bit of an interesting trip because uh, we were able to face some some pretty different conditions than what we had anticipated prior to heading heading down there. And before we kind of dive off into, uh, I guess, painting the picture of our day and, and the decisions that we made and those type of things, can you kind of set the stage on what anglers can expect when they're visiting, you know, really this just massive massive area of water? Well, it's a tremendous fishery, and uh, one thing that I think really makes it a tremendous fishery is lots of elbow room, and you certainly have it down there on the delta. There's miles and miles of canals that are man-made uh, with the oil and gas industry. Uh, you've got the intercoastal that runs through this whole system, but uh, the bottom line is there's so much area there, you better be equipped with a GPS or a good map because you could actually get lost. There's canals that lead to lakes and onto other lakes, and uh, so much habitat. Uh, we get to some fisheries where they may be big, but they don't have a lot of habitat for the fish to hide in and uh, probably don't have the recruitment area for the, the new spawn. But uh, the Dell is just a huge fish factory, very, very fertile, miles and miles of vegetation of all different types. Uh, so it can be a little challenging just from the fact of where do you start fishing. Well, and, you know, that's one of the things, that because that was my first time of actually visiting the area, but, you know, that really hit home with me once you arrive and you just see obviously you can look at it on a map and and you know it just takes pages upon pages you know we actually had one there in the boat uh, and the goofy thing was about the size of a, of a, of a large poster you know and, and trying to navigate that but the gps obviously did make it a lot easier but you're faced with often you know a lot of times when you hit any new body of water you know the delta is kind of one of those unique areas to where you could literally probably spend a lifetime and and uh, never fish you know two areas the same uh way that you would uh 
the previous time that you'd been there. But bottom line, what kind of led us to where we started and, and some of those decisions of, of picking up on, you know, on those areas? Well, for one thing, we had extremely high water conditions. So that, uh, that eliminates some areas and really kind of puts you into areas that maybe under a different scenario you would not be fishing. But uh, our low tides were basically still pretty high tides. So uh, it was a little different scenario. So we were getting into some of the dead-end canals, some of the places where you did have fresh water coming in, trying different things like that. We actually got onto a kind of an oxbow-type area down there that had some boat docks uh, that we caught some fish out of. So uh, we tried to get to areas where uh, more or less they could get to the bank, a little harder structure rather than vast areas of, you know, vegetation where you didn't really know how, where to start or you couldn't reach where the fish had really got to way, way back in it. You know, and you bring up another point concerning the tide. How much difference or, or similarities is a tidal system, and, and what different tactics? Do you have to change kind of your thought process when you're fishing a tidal system? I think a tidal system actually fishes easier than uh, if you don't have tide because it really forces them to be in certain places. And if you figure out where they're going to be during the different tides and keep track of that, you know, an hour later the next day you've got to be in this spot at, say, 12 o'clock noon, Boy, just like Fockery, those fish will be there again. I, I, you know, I go back to, we had a classic there several years ago where I finished second in. In the area I would catch those fish on high tide, you really couldn't hardly get a bite. But once the tide had reversed and started going out and you'd get a couple hours into the outgoing tide, all of a sudden those fish would appear on these certain places. And what they were were points, and they were pulling out of that vegetation, and they were stacking up on these points at the mouths of these backwaters. And you could just hammer them. So a lot of it's timing, but when you catch a fish there, not only pay attention to where you catch the fish, pay attention to what the tide level was so that you can duplicate it the next day. You know, and, and another thing I know that we talked a lot about during the show was water quality. And kind of what is your personal definition, I guess, when you get into water quality? Well, there in certain areas when the tides change and everything, you get a lot of silt moving. And I just don't feel those fish like sitting in real silty water. I think their gill plates, everything else, uh, you know, that's just a negative form. So I try to find a better water quality or where it's mixing, where the, you know, the off-color water and the clear water are kind of right on the edge there. Because some of those fish will actually stack up on that dirty water edge. So normally in places like that, you want to find good, clear, better quality water, but you want to be careful, too, on an outgoing tide not to get into that tannic-colored water that's pulling out of the swamps because some of that may not be, you know, have a good uh, oxygen content or whatever. Yeah, I can remember the day that we were out on the water. I mean, it was extremely hot and no air really whatsoever moving on the surface. How does that, you know, the humidity and the heat and, and just that kind of that stickiness, do you think that has any impact on the fish, you know, that's below the surface? Oh, I think it does. Uh, when the water temperature gets as hot as it was when we were there, it, it affects the anglers for one thing. Yeah. It's a struggle to be out there and really fish efficiently all day long. But what it really affects is those fish. It puts them underneath the mats where it may be a little bit cooler. They're not near as active. The oxygen content 
content is not as good. So uh, it, it's a situation that's kind of negative. You talk about the dog days of summer. Your early morning bite will be a little bit better. Your evening bite will be a little bit better under low light conditions. Or if you get a cloudy day, uh, the bite may uh, be a little bit better all day long. But those are tough conditions and can be very, very challenging. But what you want to think is shade. You know, try to find shade, whether it's underneath the vegetation or underneath the boat dock or anything like that where they can get the shade because that's where the bass will be. Well, and, and I think that proved out as the day went on. You know, one of the, and, and going back to a comment that you made a little bit earlier as far as paying attention to where you catch the fish, what the tide is at. By doing that, actually, what we were able to find was essentially we would find those stretches to where those fish would be stacked up. Maybe it's a row of boat docks. Maybe it's a, just a, a certain, you know, run of vegetation that had a little indention into it. Is is that because of the things that you just speak of, uh, you know, given all those things coming together, the water quality, you know, just the, the ambush points, all those those types of things that, that factor into that? Yeah, you're absolutely right. They all factor into it, and it can be something real subtle that can separate one area from another. But I think of all things down there, water quality is just such a key. Because you can get some stretches where, you know, the water almost smells foul, like, uh, you know, there, there's some nasty stuff being pulled in by the tide or whatever. You need to leave those areas. There's so much water down there that you don't have to fish marginal water. You find the good water quality and find the moving water. Uh, find those areas that during the warm weather can breathe a little bit more rather than an area tucked way back in that doesn't have any water movement. And I think you'd be more successful. Yeah, and, you know, now kind of shifting gears a little bit um, as far as bait choices. Is the Delta one of those places to where you can pretty much catch them on a, you know, numerous styles of, of baits or... You know, is it more or less to where you kind of want to pick up your, your flipping stick like we did and, and stick with it? No, you can catch them on numerous baits down there. Obviously, during the extreme weather situation, summer, winter, you become a little more limited in what, what lures will actually work. Uh, spring and fall, it's pretty well open to a lot of different lures. But when fishing gets tough and uh, they get tied to the cover, obviously what we were doing, the flipping and pitching, becomes the number one way to catch them. Uh, other times of the year, you might be able to catch them good on a frog or a top water or doing the other things down there and all that vegetation. Uh, spinnerbait can be a good choice when the water's colder down there. So there's a lot of ways that you can catch fish on the delta. But under certain conditions, there aren't many ways. you really got to tune in to a certain technique or maybe even a certain bait in order to have the opportunity to get a bite. Well, and, and you know, speaking of that, we even refine that pattern a little bit more um, when you think about, you know, by pegging that, that weight, uh, using that tungsten weight with, you know, just by throwing the, those creature style, I would say, you know, I think you were throwing a, maybe like the rage crawl. Um, you know, I was following up with a, another similar style bait. How important is the action, you know, that, that, that kind of the waves that that's, uh, you know, producing off the end of that bait? You know, do you want something that's real violent that's going to uh, produce a lot of action, or do you want to go more subtle? Well, you want to experiment. What you really need to do, there's times they want a real subtle presentation, like just a flipping tube, something that doesn't have much action. There's other times they want something with a lot of action. And the way I kind of look at it, the warmer the water, the more action I want in that bait. The colder the water, the less action I want in that bait. Uh, the Dell is a place that a jig will work well with a trailer, a flipping tube works well, or a creature type bait works well. And once in a while, even just a plain old worm will work well. So you, you've got to be open-minded. And, uh, if you're not getting bit with one, experiment a little bit. But the easiest shortcut is just go by water temperature. Summertime when it's hot, creature baits 
great way to go down there. Why is it that you peg your sinker? You know, I, I think you almost do it exclusively, I think. You know, what is the difference versus letting that sinker, you know, free line up your line and away from your bait versus wanting to keep that, you know, secured tightly uh, up against the, the shank of the hook? Well, you're, you're right, Aaron. I do it 100% of the time as far as uh, securing my uh, sinker to the bait, and I'm using that uh, two tungsten flipping weight 100% of the time, and the way that fits on there, if I peg it to the bait, it almost creates a neck-like effect on the bait, and also uh, because of the design of the sinker, allows the bait to penetrate down through the cover easier. So there's several reasons I want to keep it right against the bait, but it gives me a better sense of feel as I'm working it through the cover. The sinker never separates from the bait where I get a false strike type of feeling. So I think it pitches better that way. It skips better that way. There's just more things I can do presentation-wise. And as far as the hook set and how all that comes down, I don't think it interferes with it a bit being you know right up against the bait. So for me, it's not a question. 100% of the time, it's going to be pegged against the plastic bait. And then what about as far as the size? I mean, do you change or vary the amount of, of weight that you're actually using? I've always told people at seminars, try to use the lightest weight you can get by with. But that's not always true. In warm weather, once in a while, they want that reaction strike. In other words, the bait falling fast by their face. You know, as I've fished over the years, I've become a little bit more open-minded there. But the bottom line is you have to use a heavy enough weight in order to penetrate the cover. And if you're just pitching boat docks, yeah, you can get by with a 3-8 once in a while a half if you really want it to fall fast. But if you're going through those mats, I'll go all the way up to an ounce and a quarter, ounce and a half. Yeah, and I remember specifically there was a more or less a, a section of vegetation that we were fishing down through. And uh, the way that we were actually able to get the bites is once it punched through and actually hit the bottom and dropped down a couple feet, we literally would have to bring that almost up to the top of the canopy and just sit there and shake it. And a lot of times that's where... Uh, you know, some of those fish that were holding right up under the canopy, that's how we were able to entice them to getting bit. Yeah, and that's a mistake a lot of people make when they're flipping mats. They'll let it go through, let it go to the bottom and sit there and shake it on the bottom and then bring it out and put it in the next spot. And there are occasions where you need to just bump the bottom of that mat that they're right underneath that mat and that's the only way to catch them is get the bait at their level. You know, I'd like to spend our last couple minutes here talking about, you know, putting things in perspective. And uh, what I mean by that is twofold. One is, is is just dealing and understanding what kind of the average is when you go into, let's say, a body of water like the Delta. You know, if keepers, let's say, are 12 inches and, you know, averages have been uh, 10 to 11 pounds a day, you know, okay, that's that's kind of where you set your sights on. But also from the perspective of, you know, being open-minded, like you said, to where you're not pigeonholing yourself into uh, creating a mental defeat when you face tough conditions like, you know, the high water and some of the frontal systems and, and things like that. Can you speak how that plays into kind of your day on the water? Yeah, it really does. Uh, you, you have to know what a fishery is really capable of. Uh, you know, if you're out there trying to catch eight-pounders and eight-pounders don't live there, you're probably doing the wrong thing, you know, throwing the giant swim baits and stuff like that. Uh, a fishery like the Delta, day in and day out, uh, you catch a limit of two to two-and-a-half-pounders, you're going to be pretty strong if you're fishing a tournament or if you're out there just fun fishing and you're catching those type of fish, you know that you're being pretty successful. That said, 
the fishery can on a good given day give up a 20 pound stringer of fish. Uh, four and five pounders are a little tough to come by and that varies you know on how long it's been since uh, you know maybe they've had a hurricane go through and different things that occasionally can affect the big fish in there with the, the salinity level but uh, it, it's got the possibility on almost anywhere you fish to give you a limit of three pounders and I can remember going back to the you know the tournaments I've fished there where when you get into them, it's unbelievable how many of those three to three and a quarter pound fish can actually be on one spot. And most of the fish you catch down there are just really fat. They're like footballs. And some of that's from, I guess, fighting all the current or whatever. But uh, they put up a good fight. They're fun to catch. And they're just beautiful bass. Well, and, and Denny, you know, that's one of the things that I enjoyed so much about our time down there. I mean, it's truly an excellent fishery. But, you know, that was one of the, the times to where we were actually able to put kind of our skills as an angler uh, to the test. You know, kind of fight through the elements. Maintaining our focus was absolutely paramount. Uh, for walking away with the type of day that we had. And i got to tell you, I, it, it made me feel pretty good. Well, not every day is a day on the water where they, you know, the bites come easy. Some days they come tough, and it can be very, very challenging. And you do have to be focused and really be out there working in order to have a successful day. So I kind of enjoy those days, too. Uh, everybody dreams about the days where every other cash to catch a big one, but that's not always the scenario. Yeah. Well, Denny, unfortunately, we are out of time. But uh, once again, thanks uh, for spending both time on the water with us and, and taking time uh, for the interview here on the edge we look forward to it and wish you the best of luck in the upcoming season i appreciate that Aaron. power productivity speed it's the best trencher ever made not to mention the best plow dumper tiller backhoe Stump grinder and tool carrier ever made. The Zahn, the revolution is here. I'm Sean Hernke, and you're listening to The Edge. Well, I lived down in Morgan City, but I think I gained a few pounds. <laughs> yeah, uh, you know, I, I think I remember writing an article one time there on the e-newsletter that any time that uh, we are within driving distance of seafood, uh, it's sure to be part of the Bass Edge diet, I can tell you that. Man, I love my seafood, but man, what a, what a place down there. I was sort of intimidated when we first got down there, you know, and it was just great to have a guy like Denny along who kind of knew the water. There's water everywhere. That is for sure. I mean, you know, I can remember when we took out the map down there and the goofy thing took up the whole front of the deck of our boat <laughs> and just looking at the numerous places, you know, where to fish, it can be a little bit intimidating. But one of the things I think that was key, you know, when we started trying to break down for our day of fishing, we had some factors that we had to deal with. Obviously, you know, there was a tremendous amount of water coming in that is a tidal system, you know, so we had the situation of where we had a backflow of current because the water was coming in pushing against the tide. So, you know, with those things, um, it was an interesting challenge. Mm -hmm. Well, you know, it's something I'd never seen, you know, like you get the current going one way and the tide coming in the other. There's some pretty strange looking little eddies and places to fish, but if you read that and you know how to fish those areas, you know, there are advantages. No question. In, in talking with Denny, and I know we spent a lot of time throughout the day talking about this, but there's so much water down there and it all looks very, very good from an angler's perspective. But weren't you shocked to see 
that how that the fish were more or less concentrated in certain areas based upon the water quality? Absolutely. The different water clarity was just incredibly diverse in, in the area, and the fish were just grouped up in particular spots. You know, my, my main memory of that show was the old sunken boat. Yes. You know, and Denny said, well, the current's coming this way, and you know, this should be a good spot, and bam, you cast in there, and bam, caught that fish. Yeah, and again, to tack on to something else that he brought up, was because of the amount of high water. You know, that water, it's obviously, it's very flat down there, uh, so that when you get high water, it, just, it kind of spreads out and just goes and goes and for miles and, into the swamp. But one of the keys that we were really focusing on was hardcover where the water actually met a defined edge. So any of those retaining walls, anything to where there was actually structure, where the bank actually came up in a more vertical sense to where the water actually pushed up against there, we concentrated on those vegetation or maybe the docks or poles or any type of structure that was right where the water actually ended at the shoreline. Yeah, you know, another thing that struck me about the show was it didn't come together. I mean, it took us a while to find those fish. It took a while to figure it out, and it was miserably hot. And it would have been easy to get discouraged. And I think it was just kind of a good lesson in staying focused and concentrate. And, uh, boy, I thought we were going to have to call Dr. Fish for a session. Well, it's, phone down there. You know, it's funny you say that because our next interview is actually with Dr. Fish himself talking about attitude and focus on that very thing of, of how you can actually improve things that you can do off the water to put yourself once you do hit the water and you're in that situation to where you can stay focused, right. keep a positive mental attitude. So that'll be a great interview, too. But that is going to be a great interview. But I tell you what, before we go to Dr. Fish, we have a question from Cal in Gladewater, Texas. Yeah, Cal I... wants to know, when setting the hook, if you feel like you didn't set the hook good enough, should you try to set it again or just play the fish more? Yeah, and uh, we threw that out to Kurt Dove. And uh, Kurt's response is, I always set the hook again if I feel like the initial force was not enough for good hook penetration. I find that this occurs usually when fishing deeper water or when the fish runs quickly towards the boat after a bite in shallow water. When doing so, make sure you do it immediately. If the fish is played for a time before setting the hook again, you may allow the hook to shift in the fish's mouth and then you will not be penetrating the same way as when the initial hook set was attempted. So, uh, great question, great answer. Uh, another great answer from our good friend, Kurt. Well, I tell you what, let's get to that Dr. J interview right after this break. You know the importance of protecting your investments, so why use anything other than the toughest keel protector for your boat? Grinding sand, abrasive rocks, and concrete ramps are no match for our patented technology. Keel Guard Keel Protectors are made tough and made to stick. Their do-it-yourself installation takes less than an hour, providing the most dependable, most trusted keel protection for your boat, guaranteed for life. So give your boat the performance edge. Put on the protection the pros pick. Keel Guard Keel Protectors. Hi, I'm Pam Martin-Wells, and you're on the edge. All right, we are back on The Edge, and joining us for this week's installment of The Inside Edge is a regular here on The Edge, and that is Dr. Jay McNamara. Jay, thanks so much uh, again for being part of The Edge. Glad to hear from you, Aaron. Hey, it's hard to believe, but we are in full swing of Season 3, and uh, you know, one of this week's episode was basically fishing there uh, on the Cajun coast with legendary Denny Brower. And you know, we had some little bit of tough times considering just the conditions that we faced with high water and the, and the temperature and you know, really had to kind of scramble to find some biting fish, and I know you commented on that during the show. Well, you know, Denny Brower is one of the most amazing guys I've ever seen in terms of focus. 
Um, as you uh, witnessed with him yourself, you can uh, flip and pitch down a bank with Danny hundreds and hundreds of times, and all of a sudden uh, he gets a bite and his reflexes are lightning fast. You'd think he'd been jerking them one right after the other, but that ability to focus every single flip, every single cast, every single pitch is one of the things that Denny Brower is as good at as anybody. And you bring up a good point there because under the conditions kind of setting the stage was the fact that, like we just heard in his interview right before this, you know, we really had to, to scramble and the fish were not... Uh, necessarily lined up and down the shorelines that we were fishing. But what we did find is that you might go, say, several hundred yards. We might have to move quite a bit. And then all of a sudden, you would pull into a pocket of fish and boom. Well, you know, that's, again, an amazing thing that Denny has is the capacity to stay alert and attentive even when you're going down that 100, 200, 300 yard stretch where there are no bites. Like I said, I've uh, fished with Denny as practiced in different tournaments before, and uh, it just amazes me how razor sharp his reflexes are and how focused his concentration is. No matter how poor the bite is, he's still ready the instant that fish touches his bait. It's a two-pronged approach that you had brought up. One is the attitude piece of it, and the other one is focus. Um, let's tackle attitude first. I mean, how can you, I guess, work or practice on improving both of these scenarios? Well, you know, there's a lot of talk in uh, popular psychology about the power of positive thinking, and it's not quite as powerful of a technique as uh, some people like to think. If uh, thinking positive thoughts cause you to win tournaments, we'd all be winning tournaments all the time. Um, so it doesn't really work that way. But what modifying your attitude and monitoring your attitude can do for you is to keep you alert to the possibility that the next bite will give you a fish. So if your attitude is, I think that this is an area that could have fish in it, or this looks like the kind of area that should hold fish on a day like today, that will keep you more focused than if you say, oh, you know, it's a bad bite, or you start making excuses about the weather, or the water's too high, or too cold, or whatever. If you tell yourself those kinds of things, you'll start to lose your focus. If you tell yourself that your attitude is, this stretch coming up here could be a good stretch, this piece of cover could be a good piece of cover, you're more likely to pay close attention when you do get the bite. So is there some kind of a system, let's say, that you would put in place or a reminder that throughout the course of the day, maybe you you know, you know have something written down that you pull out of your pocket or, or, or placed on a tackle box or on your windshield or console of your boat you know, that constantly reminds you of that? Because it's very easy, I think, when things are going well or when you're off the water, like you and I having this discussion, to know what we need to do. But there's a big difference between knowing what you need to do and actually doing it when you're in this certain situation. Absolutely. Any of those techniques that you just mentioned, Aaron, can work. Um, some guys will put a little note to themselves on the windshield of their boat, or they'll have a, a notebook with them, like you sometimes use, I know, that uh, you lay on the, on the front deck of your boat as a reminder to write down details about every fish you catch. You can certainly do those things. I would tell people to, uh, to change it up. You know, don't do the same thing all the time. Don't put a, a notice on your windshield of your boat and then just leave it there for three weeks because all of a sudden it'll become part of your boat. One of the things that I've had several anglers comment on that works for them is when they get into a tough bite situation is to set their watch or their cell phone to go off every 10 minutes. And when the alarm rings, it's sort of a reminder to uh, refocus here. The alarm bell says, okay, zero back in here. Don't start paying attention to uh, thoughts about what you need to do at home or how you need to take care of bills and stuff like that when you get off the water. But pay attention to what it is you're doing right now. And sometimes those kinds of uh, reminders can work as well. That segues us right into our next question and topic, which is focus quickly on the fact that, you know, when you are fishing, and we've talked about this many times before, you're making 
thousands of casts throughout the course of the day. It's very easy to get caught up in just going through the motions and thinking that by making, you know, cast after cast, eventually it's going to change. However, you know, if you are not focused and ready when that bite does occur, you can miss a lot of fish. Well, absolutely. You know, again, the, the one of the hardest parts about fishing compared to other sports is you can't actually see what's going on. And um, whether you're a football player or a basketball player or a baseball player, you can always see exactly what's happening. And in fishing, you can't. Once your bait disappears beneath the surface, if out of your visual field, you can't actually see it. You have to use the powers of your imagination. You have to use your good visualization skills. You have to use your good concentration skills to envision what that bait is doing, whether it's a jig or a crankbait or a drop shot or whatever it is. You know, the, uh, the ability to focus on what your bait is doing even though you can't see it, is unique to the sport of fishing, but really good anglers know how to do that. Well, and finally, in closing, is are there any techniques that you can basically practice to, again, put yourself in the driver's seat when you're in that situation? Well, you know, one of the interesting things that you've run across down in Table Rock, and I've seen this happen with people down there, is guys now can, when they fish vertically with a drop shot rig, they actually can watch their lure, their finesse worm, or whatever it is, when they fish vertically right underneath the front of the boat with the uh, new depth finders we have now that are able to track those kinds of baits. You can do that same kind of a visual practice with other lures. So whether it's a crankbait or a spinnerbait or a jig or a plastic worm, a Texas rig worm or whatever it is, um, imagine that you're seeing the same kind of visual picture on your depth finder that you do with the drop shot setup when you're fishing in 30 feet of water in a treetop. And uh, that kind of mental practice, the more you do that, the better you become at, in a sense, being the bait, being down there with your lure as it goes through the water. Well, great stuff, Jay. Unfortunately, we are out of time, but any closing thoughts before we get out of here? Well, you know, there's some uh, interesting stuff in the book, The Psychology of Exceptional Fishing, on that focus and concentration dimensions and some other exercises that anglers could use. If they want to check out the book, they can go to uh, BassEdge.com. They can also, uh, if they have any questions that they want to uh, send along to us, they can send them to us there. Thanks, Jay, so much for your time. We look forward to talking with you again in the near future. Okay, Aaron, thanks a lot. Now you can order Bass Edge Seasons 1 and 2 on DVD. Own the best resource for tips and techniques in bass fishing is host Aaron Martin tackles lakes across the country with the industry's top pro anglers, including Edwin Evers, Boyd Duckett, Alton Jones, and Pam Martin-Wells. The two sets include all 25 episodes with never-before-seen footage, over three hours of bonus pro angler interviews, bloopers, and highlights. Each two-disc set is just $19.95. Call 1-888-390-8780 or order online at BassEdge.com. Well, unfortunately, we are out of time, but don't forget, we are on the Outdoor Channel Thursdays at 8 a.m., Fridays at 9 a.m., and Saturdays at 2.30 p.m., all Eastern Time. In addition, we're on the World Fishing Network seven days a week and also on Wild TV in Canada. For the latest Bass Edge information, merchandise, and to sign up for our e-newsletter product giveaways and ask the pro questions, visit us online at BassEdge.com. Steve, do we have a full plate for next week? we got the California boys on. Chris Ball joins us in the Bethel Island area of the California Delta, and we've got Jamie Cypress, who's got some great tips on swim baits. Well, I look forward to that. I know that was a great show, and also uh, Jamie's prowess in fishing swim baits uh, sure to leave all of us educated. Well, for Steve Brigman, I'm Aaron Martin, and we'll see you next week right here on The Edge. This week's edition of Bass Edges, The Edge, has been brought to you by B&W Trailer Hitches, Ditch Witch, 
MegaWare KeelGuard, O'Reilly Auto Parts, and Legend Boats. For more information on Bass Edge, including our television show, training materials, e-newsletter, and podcast, please visit www.bassedge.com. Be sure to join us next week on The Edge.